The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And flipping over to chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Um, uh, Many years ago when I was pastoring in the United States, uh, I happened to hear, well, I was actually kind of a bystander in a conversation um, between a lady from another church that happened to be very charismatic and Pentecostal. And the person asking the question, uh, I don't know that they were a Christian, I don't remember, but they were trying to understand the difference between her church and other churches. So uh, they asked the question this way, what's the difference between a charismatic Pentecostal church and a Baptist church? Now, not to pick on Baptists, but apparently they thought, maybe rightly so, that those were different. Um, And her answer, this is her answer, okay, she said, and remember she's from this Pentecostal church, and her understanding of the difference was this. She said, well, we believe in Pentecost when God poured out the Holy Spirit on the church, and they don't. (laughs) And they meaning mostly me. It's like, well, um, actually, I do believe very much in Pentecost, and I do believe in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So I'm not sure her definition was really very accurate. But maybe what she was trying or what she could have said is this, that while all Christians may believe in Pentecost, many live as though it never happened. Many live as though it never happened. Uh, And certainly when I first gave my life to Christ, the church that I attended uh, would be one of those churches where the Holy Spirit was never mentioned. And I don't know if he was there or not there, but if he was there, it was a huge secret and nobody knew about it, and nobody talked about it. Right? He was pretty much invisible in every, in every meaning of the word. So that was, I was 14 years old, and that was my first couple of years of experience in, uh, in church as a, as a follower of Christ. And um, so you can imagine my first, and I never really heard of charismatics. This is back, you know, for you younger people, a million years ago. Um, uh, and um, this is a new thing. I never really heard or met charismatics. And my first experience when I was in high school uh, was, was a little terrifying, actually. And now terrifying. Now you're probably picturing, oh, yeah, you went to some service and they were like crazy speaking in tongues and being slain in the spirit. And no, it was nothing like that. Okay, it was at a Christian concert. I think it was Andre Crouch. I don't remember who, but this Christian concert. And there were charismatics there, right? And they, you know what they did? They raised their hands and swayed. Ah! It freaked me out. 
Um, I'd never seen this before. Right? It was terrifying to me. I thought, these people are weird. They're walking around, raising their hands, and they're swaying, and they have their eyes closed. It freaked me out. Needless to say, um, I was a long way from anything Pentecostal. Right? Uh, thankfully, I've, I've come away since. Um, so, uh, I'm not going to be preaching really about Pentecostalism or Charismatics or what the difference is, but I, I just want to share this story to raise an important issue, and the issue is this. Uh, do we believe in Pentecost? I mean, do we really believe that God poured out his Holy Spirit upon us uh, as a reality that impacts our everyday life? Or do we, you know, hardly have a thought of the indwelling spirit in our life? Are we like that, that supposed hypothetical Baptist church? Uh, do we live as though it never happened? Right? Um, and I'm not talking, you know, about outward expressions of the spirit. I'm not talking about raising your hands in a worship service or not raising your hands or speaking in tongues. Um, I'm talking about the, the reality and truth that, that, uh, that if you are in Christ... The Holy Spirit is in you. And what difference that should make in your life uh, isn't making a difference in your life, right? Um, and if it's not making any real impact, what can you do about it? Um, maybe you feel like I have often felt that, uh, that something is just missing, right? You read these accounts in Acts and in the New Testament, and it seems like these people had something that I don't. Um, and, and maybe you, you have felt that way. Um, certainly, you know, it's been a long time since I've raised somebody from the dead. <laughs> Pretty much never. Uh, and like, Peter did this, right? Paul did this. They healed people. They had this powerful life. And sometimes we might feel like, well, I don't know if the Holy Spirit's there or not because I just don't see evidence of it in my life. Well, if there were evidence, what would it look like? And what would it, what, uh, what would it do if we really were living and, and consciously aware of the indwelling spirit in our life? Um, when you look at the life of Jesus, it's very fascinating that Jesus lived and, and performed most of his ministry, well, all of his ministry, all of it, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just really a, an interesting thing to me, because here's Jesus Second person of the Trinity, Son of God, incarnate, fully God, fully man, right? So Jesus, in his divine nature, had everything he needed to perform every miracle, right? He, he's credited in Colossians with creating the, the universe, right? So um, it wasn't like Jesus did not have in himself the power and ability to do miracles, to, to walk on the water, to do all that he did, uh, but when you look through the Gospels, it's clear that Jesus is not performing these miracles and, and doing his ministry and living his life in his divine power. But rather, he's emptied, he's set all of that aside temporarily while he is living fully as a, as a person. Um, and so he's dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to animate his life and ministry. Uh, Matthew 3.16, it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Matthew 4.1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And so Jesus doesn't get this idea on his own. He's led there by the Holy Spirit. Luke 4.1 4, says it differently. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Right, so here again, you see the Holy Spirit actively involved in Jesus' life, filling him and leading and directing him. Um, Luke 4.14 and 15, when Jesus returned, uh, after the temptation, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Right, and the report went about him through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Uh, most interestingly is in Acts um, 10, 37 and 38. Um, the apostles say this about Jesus. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Because there is Jesus. He is God, right? But he's living life uh, fully in the flesh. And he, he uh, is operating and doing ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, the thing that's uh, impressed with me about this is if Jesus needed this to fulfill his life and ministry, how much more do I need the working of the Holy Spirit in my life? Right? Because I happen to not be divine in my nature. Right? And so... Uh, I want to know how this works, right? We want to know and we want to be careful that we're following what Scripture says, but that we're taking advantage of what God has given to us in His Spirit. So the wonderful truth is that God, uh, that Jesus promised He would baptize His followers with the Holy Spirit. Uh, when He did, it was unmistakable. And those who received the Spirit were never the same. Uh, and it happened in this dramatic Pentecostal way, so that you and I would know the reality of his presence and have faith to experience his power in our life. So let's look at, um, and I'm, I'm doing kind of a dangerous thing here that I don't normally do. I'm doing, this is actually kind of a topical sermon. Uh, I, I'm really not good at this. I, I really like just sticking with one passage. But um, it's hard to teach about the Holy Spirit uh, because he's spread out all over Scripture in little bits and pieces. Like if I want to preach to you about uh, the meaning of the gospel, I've got the whole book of Romans. We could dive in, right? Um, to really get a comprehensive idea of the Holy Spirit and how he works and ministers in our life, uh, we, we have to survey a, a broad spectrum of Scripture. So we're going to do that over the next few weeks. Um, so the first thing we're going to look at is, is this concept of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? And uh, you may have ideas about that. Your church may have taught certain things. And so you can see if it really lines up with Scripture. Because we want to see what the Bible says about that. Um, all the way back before Jesus really began his public ministry, when he was just getting started, and he goes and he finds John the Baptist. And one of the first things that Jesus does is he's baptized by John. And during that time, as he's rubbing shoulders and around John, John makes a couple amazing declarations about who Jesus is. Uh, first, uh, John proclaims uh, a couple times that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, then later, uh, John says um, that, he says, I have, been, I, have, I have baptized you with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
And this really summarizes, uh, uh, from John's perspective, two of the main purposes of Jesus' coming. Uh, now, I don't know that, it, that we could say John represents everything Jesus is about, but he, he highlights two important parts of what Jesus' mission is. The first is that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Our salvation, as we celebrated just now with communion, our salvation is dependent on Jesus alone uh, as the Lamb of God who was sacrificed, um, gave up his body, sacrificed on the cross as our atonement for sin. Uh, The Bible talks a lot about this. Four Gospels kind of unpack it. The New Testament spends a lot of time dealing with Jesus as the atonement for sin. And rightly so. Yeah, it's, it is a huge focus, and it should be a huge focus for us. And uh, if you come to this church very long, you know that we talk about this a lot, about uh, the importance and meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection and what it means for us as believers. Um, and the reason it's a huge focus is it's, it is the only way of salvation. We are saved by Christ alone. There is no other way. Uh, there is no other option. So it's important that we understand it and that we exercise faith in what Jesus did on the cross. But we shouldn't ignore the second purpose of Jesus' coming that that John outlines, this baptism of the Spirit. Uh, Throughout the Gospels, no no other mention is made of this until after the resurrection, uh, when in Acts, Jesus tells the disciples, um, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Um, That really wasn't possible until Jesus accomplished the first part of his mission. Right? Uh, Jesus said, I have to go, I have to go to my Father, and the, the only way to do that for Jesus was through the cross. And he says, When I go to my Father, I am going to send the comforter to you. And there was an order to that that couldn't be shortcutted. The Holy Spirit couldn't come until Jesus dealt with sin and made us holy vessels that could receive this incredible gift. Um, and so Jesus gave those instructions, and then he ascended into heaven. And they never saw Jesus again. Uh, but they waited, and a, few, uh, a short time later, uh, they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, as we read about. Uh, and it... Um, he came, tongues of fire, rushing wind. They spoke in tongues. Uh, and it, it, it wasn't just uh, Babel. It was clear and distinct languages. And it was the festival of Pentecost. People had come into Jerusalem from all over uh, the Roman Empire. Jews that had been scattered and dispersed to every country. And they spoke different languages. Uh, and, and they came and they understood exactly what the apostles were preaching and teaching because they were speaking in their language. Right? So these were known languages. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed for the gift of tongues to speak Thai. Right? Or Lahu, right? Um, I don't think God's given me that gift. Uh, but they had that, right? And it creates this huge stir among the people. The crowds are, are struck by, you know, what is going on here? Right? Some say, oh, they're just drunk. And Peter gets up and he gives this sermon... Uh, his very first real sermon that's recorded in Scripture anyway, we don't have record of him preaching at all in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus did that, but he, here we have a, a record of him getting up and preaching his first sermon. Um, and at the end of his message, he, he says these words. He invites the crowd with these words. He says, repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Okay, so that relates to the first part of Jesus' mission, right? Uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says you need to repent, turn from your sins, believe in the work of Jesus, and be baptized. Uh, that's the formal way of accepting, of, of declaring that you identify with his death and resurrection. And then he says, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, even living in Thailand. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. An amazing promise that Peter gives here. Um, Jesus, first of all, promises to his disciples. Uh, when I go and when, when I finish my work on the cross, I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that happened on the day of Pentecost. And then Peter says to all the crowd, all who were there, all who came to Christ, who would come to Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus, right, but you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's for you and your children, for everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. Uh, so uh, what we can learn from all this is that it, the Holy Spirit is a promised gift to all who believe. Right? Um, to near and far, everyone who calls himself a follower of Christ is guaranteed uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, Romans 8 9 expands on this a little, where Paul says this. He says, you, who, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Okay, Paul makes one thing really simple and clear here. You cannot be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit. Right? He says, uh, if Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, anyone who does not have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in them, does not belong to Christ. Right, so what we can learn from this is that uh, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens at our conversion. Now, of course, it didn't happen that way to the apostles, right? Because Jesus uh, fulfilling these events for, for Jesus took place in two events, right? First was the cross, which he had to live out in time and space. He had to go and die on the cross, be buried for three days and rise again. And then there was this, this inter intermediate time of waiting, and then the Holy Spirit came. But the clear teaching of the New Testament is that for you and I, uh, it's really one event. right? It happens simultaneously. You put your faith in Jesus to save you from sin, and boom, the Holy Spirit indwells you. He's poured out in your life. Um, and it's interesting in this passage, it uses the word dwell uh, several times. I think three times, actually. Uh, the Holy Spirit, His Spirit who dwells in you. And the word there is, is uh, if you know uh, a little bit about Greek, uh, maybe you've heard the word oikos. You know what oikos means? House. That's right. He gets the million dollars. Yay. He's going on to the next round. Um, that means house, right? And the verb of it, uh, 
is oikeo, means to house together, literally, right? Or to dwell, to, to live together. It really has the idea that the Holy Spirit is not just in you uh, as a visit, but he's dwelling in you as a permanent residence, uh, the place where he makes his home. Uh, one thing that's significant about this is that this is language used of a person, right? A home is a place of relationship. Uh, you can go shopping at, at, at Big C, right? And there are people who work there who, who you could say, dwell there, don't live there, but they're there, and they serve you. But relationship is not necessary. Like, I don't have to know their name. I don't have to even talk to them, right? They just take my money and give me my change and everything's good, right? There's not a lot of relationship. Um, but if you go to have dinner at someone's house, uh, they may also serve you, but your, your purpose in going is much more relational. In fact, if you're only there for the food, um, it could be a problem with the relationship, right? You invite somebody to their home, there's something inviting about relationship and communion and fellowship. Uh, to take it even one level further, you get married to someone, and uh, if you didn't know this, they move in with you, like forever, right? Like the day after the wedding, you get up in the morning, it's like, uh, what are you doing here? This is my house, right? No, no, it's like, that's the point, right? You live together, you dwell together, you abide together, you make it your home together, you do life in relationship together. And that's the picture here of the Holy Spirit coming into us. He wants to come into us and set up his home where he lives in relationship and communion with us. It's the means by which uh, God imparts his presence to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Paul uses a similar language in 1 Corinthians 3.16 where he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? That same word dwell. He makes his home in you. But here the home is not just a generic house. He relates it to the temple because we just spent a whole long time studying the book of Exodus and you are all now experts in the book of Exodus, right? We know all about the tabernacle, the place where God set up in the midst of the people of Israel where his what? His presence would dwell in the midst of them, where God would live right there with them, dwelling with them. Uh, among his people. It's a sacred space where God made his home with Israel. Uh, and so Paul uses that language. But now instead of us going to a temple, the church building is not a temple. right? We don't go to a certain space where God's presence dwells. You and I are that temple. right? We are a holy temple, the holy of holies. A sacred and holy space where the very presence of God lives and dwells. Amazing picture. An amazing reality, right? That everywhere you go, God is constantly with you. Constantly in the very center of your life, right? Um, so that's kind of the first, the first point. There is this baptism. There's this reality that part of your salvation and conversion is that you have become a temple of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and He lives in you. He dwells in you. He wants to be a part of your life. A second principle here, though, is that his, mistake, his, his coming uh, is unmistakable. Right? It's unmistakable. Notice what happens at Pentecost. Um, it's not really enough that the Holy Spirit lives in us. Uh, as amazing as that is, right? uh, God wants us not only, not only to be 
true, but he wants us to be aware of its truth. Uh, and even when you, if you remember just a couple of weeks ago, looking in Exodus, when the tabernacle was completed, and Moses had finished everything, all the elements were built, they were all put in place, it was all assembled, and the priests had their garments on, and they'd offered all the sacrifice. Do you remember what happened? They all went home, and you know, they all sang a hymn and went home, right? No. What happens? It says, the glory of the Lord fills the temple, fills the tabernacle. Um, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the gl- glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, God didn't have to do that, right? He promised, he told them that in the Holy of Holies would be the place on the mercy seat where his presence would be. And he could have just left it to faith that they believed, well, we think he's in there, right? Um, he said he was in there, so we can't actually go look, but we'll just kind of take it that he's there, right? No, God wants to make it unmistakably clear that he descends and he fills the temple with his presence. And so when we come to uh, Pentecost, when God now sends his spirit not to the, the, to the physical temple, but to his new temple, his his children who have been, uh, been made his dwelling place, it says, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. I don't know what that was like, but you can imagine sitting in here, and of course we've got the roar of the air conditioners. I wouldn't call that like a mighty rushing wind, right? Uh, and it doesn't say there was a wind blowing, it just said there was the sound of it. So imagine there's this howling sound of a howling wind. But the air is still and calm, right? What would you think? Well, I know what you would think because you live in a modern age of cynicism. And you would think, well, that's some kind of sound effect. Well, how did they do that, right? Because they were, we have PA systems, they didn't have sound effects, right? They're like, wow, what's going on here? And then there's visual demonstration as well. It says, tongues of fire came down and divided. And tongues of fire went and sat on each of them. And I'm thinking, this is going to freak me out, right? Because I know what fire does, right? And I've, I've seen enough wedding, you know, wedding videos gone bad where the guy's hair you know, catches on fire. It's kind of scary, freaky, but that's what happens. There's visible demonstration of the glory of God coming. And it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began uh, to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. See, it was unmistakable, Right? Because God wants to live in our presence. He wants to dwell in the midst of us. And he wants us to be aware of it. He doesn't want it to just be some secret, mysterious thing we're not consciously aware of. He comes in a way that's unmistakable so that they would know that he's there. They would know without doubt that the promise was fulfilled and they had been baptized with the Spirit. Uh, There would be no question that the Holy Spirit had come. Um, and it's interesting, as you go forward throughout the book of Acts, uh, you encounter some groups of people who are kind of oblivious to this Holy Spirit thing. Uh, and in Acts, uh, Jesus promised that uh, the Holy Spirit would come on them in power and they would be uh, his witnesses in where? Jerusalem and, and Judea. Jerusalem's a city. Judea's kind of more the province. In Samaria, a neighboring uh, state, and, and to the utter ends of the earth, right? And so as the gospel begins, that that progression, kind of at each new phase, at each new frontier as the gospel enters, there's a visible coming of the Holy Spirit. So um, in Acts 8, for example, it says the apostles of Jerusalem heard 
that Samaria had received the word of God. Right? So the gospel is moving out. It's kind of gone past Jerusalem throughout Judea. And now it's moving out to Samaria, another country. They weren't uh, pure Jews. In fact, the Jews really looked down on the Samaritans. So it's a big deal for the gospel to be received by Samaritans. Uh, and so they sent Peter and John to go check this out. And so they came down and they did what? It says they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now here's a question. And I'm not going to get into all the theology of this. But if, if the Holy Spirit comes at conversion and they had true, genuine conversion, was the Holy Spirit dwelling in them? Well, I believe yes. Right? I believe that's the promise. That's the way it works. But the problem was they had no conscious awareness of it. They didn't understand. They were oblivious to what, uh, what this promise was and how it would be fulfilled. So the, the, the apostles go in a very di- visible demonstration. They lay hands on them and the, and the Holy Spirit falls on them. And it doesn't say what happened. But it, it happened in a way that, that they were consciously aware the Holy Spirit's come. And the way we know that is that right after this, Simon, uh, one of the disciples, or one of the uh, new converts there, wanted to buy this gift. Right? So it must have been something that, that he thought, man, I can make money off this deal, right? Uh, there was something in it that was tangible and visible. Um, clearly he was confused. Um, and and he gets soundly rebuked because of it. Um, But the point is, it was important to God that they were fully aware that this happened to them. Later in the book of Acts, uh, Paul shows up in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is neither in Judea or Samaria. It's actually in what is now modern-day Turkey. It's quite a long ways away. Um, And Paul ends up there on one of his missionary journeys, and he runs across across a group of believers. Okay, that doesn't call them Christians, but it says they were believers. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And I love their answer. They say, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Right? Okay, that, that's kind of a problem. Okay, how can you receive something you don't even know exists? Um, and he said, uh, he, said, he, he said to them, well, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Okay, so they actually hadn't heard the gospel yet. Somehow they had either, some of them had been uh, to, to Jerusalem or to the Jordan when, when John was preaching, and they had heard John preach, and they, they, they got this part about repentance. And that was John's message. Repent and, and be prepared for the coming Messiah. And so they, they believed that message. They repented and they had been baptized by John. Uh, but, uh, but it says that, that um, that Paul explained further, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. So, Jesus, so Paul uh, says, okay, repentance is good, but, but let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the one who came. So he explains the gospel. And then it says that he baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they received the gospel, right? Uh, so probably they weren't actually Christians before this, right? They, they hadn't really heard the whole message. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Right? Again, 
Uh, even though they were oblivious to the Holy Spirit, God uh, sends this ambassador Paul to uh, fill them in on the truth of the gospel. And then he shows up. The Holy Spirit comes upon him in a way that is tangible and visible. Um, so that they know what happened. In a way that was unmistakable. Uh, I think, you know, to many modern day Christians, they really are a lot like these Ephesian believers, right? If you ask them, man, what's the Holy Spirit done in your life? And they're like, uh, I, I don't even get the Holy Spirit, right? And I'll be honest, in a lot of my life, I, I have not really understood the Holy Spirit. Now, theologically, I know the truth that He indwells me. Um, but I lived as, uh, much of my life as if He did not exist, right? We, know, uh, we don't know about the Holy Spirit, and so we don't really think it's important, right? Um, and, you know, I felt that way as a new believer. And part of, maybe you had this experience, right? Part of my, this is my, this is why I didn't want to know about the Holy Spirit. Because I had those early encounters with those crazy charismatic people. And they freaked me out. And I thought, if, if, if that's what the Holy Spirit is, I'm not interested, right? Just keep me away from those people. And I was afraid if I got too close, I would go crazy. And I didn't want to go crazy. So I, I just thought, I, keep my distance from that, right? Um, so, so this raises an important question for us, right? Um, so, so the Holy Spirit's promised to us, and if in Acts He came in ways that were unmistakable, does that mean that if we haven't spoken in tongues or had some dramatic experience that we have not yet received the Holy Spirit? And there are churches and denominations that teach that. They say, you know, the Holy Spirit really hasn't come on you until something... Dramatic has happened. You've spoken tongues or you've prophesied. Or you've been slain in the Spirit. Uh, does the Bible teach that? No. Right? Scripture nowhere teaches that in order to receive the Holy Spirit, you have to have some dramatic experience. Right? Remember what Peter said at the end of his sermon. He said simply, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus uh, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you. Right? Uh, when you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Um, so why is it our experience is so different? Right? Why is it they got to speak in tongues and got to go crazy and we just like, hmm, I don't know, nothing, I don't feel like anything happened. Right? I feel the same, I look the same. Um, Inside, I don't know, you know, nothing's there. Did that experience? That, that was me. I mean, I got, came to Christ, nothing magic happened. I didn't feel any differently. Well, I felt a little differently because I'd had this huge burden of guilt and sin lifted off me. And there was a joy in my life that was unmistakable. But I didn't feel the presence of the Spirit. I was like the Ephesian Christians. I didn't even know He existed. Right? Well, why is our experience so different than the first Christians? Well, God poured out His Spirit on them in such a visible, unmistakable way so that they would know a certainty that the promise was fulfilled and so that you and I would know that the promise was fulfilled. Right? We don't need to experience that anymore. What we need to do is grab hold with unflinching faith the promise of God and know with certainty the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, as certain as our salvation.
Think about it. You know, the early believers, the apostles, they got to see the resurrected Jesus, right? And so they believed because they saw the resurrected Jesus. I mean, I know a whole story about Thomas, who, right, doubting Thomas. He says, I'm not going to believe unless I see. And Jesus shows up and in his grace he appears and he says, Thomas, you know, look, my hands inside can touch, you know. Um, great that you believe, but what? But blessed are those who believe without seeing, right? It's an act of faith. And our faith is not based on nothing. Our, ba- our faith is based on the witness of those apostles. Right? We believe because of what they saw and experienced. Well, the same thing's true with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we don't believe the Holy Spirit indwells us because we have some dramatic experience or because we spoke in tongues. Right? We should believe because of the witness of the apostles. Right, that they make clear what happened on the day of Pentecost as he came in an unmistakable way in the book of Acts for our benefit. So ultimately it's a matter of faith, not feeling. And so if you want to come to an awareness and you want to come to know the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, the first thing you have to do is you have to believe it's true. Right? And, of course, the Holy Spirit comes, and not only does he come in a, in a powerful way on the day of Pentecost, but he comes in a way that has life-changing impact. We're not going to really talk about that, but um, the apostles lived life differently. They were never the same after that day. Right? And the, remember, these are guys who had lived with Jesus for three years. And Jesus had taught and worked with them. It hadn't made, honestly, a lot of impact. Okay, so here it is, Jesus teaching his miracles his, his very resurrection had actually made very little impact on these guys. And, and when Jesus ascended to heaven, they're still filled with doubt and worry and concern. Right? When they're praying in the upper room at the day of Pentecost, they're praying there because they're still kind of fearful and afraid of the religious authorities and they're hiding. But then the Holy Spirit comes and these guys are never the same. Right? They go to jail. They, they go to the cross for Jesus. It's so life-transforming. And uh, we'll talk in the next few weeks about some of the ministries of the Spirit in our life. But quickly, we we are sanctified by Him. Uh, We become effective effective witnesses for Christ by His power. It's by His work in our life that we come to know and understand the truth of His Word. We are directed and led to do His will by His leading. We are empowered to proclaim the Word with boldness by His power. Uh, We are made more and more like Christ as the fruit of the Spirit is produced in us. And we are given supernatural ability to do ministry and to serve Him, right? Okay, so last thing. Let's wrap up with this last thought. This is all true. If the Holy Spirit's been poured out, it's been promised, uh, it's guaranteed to be true in your life at salvation. That is, the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes when you believe in Jesus. Um... What do we do with this? Um, do you feel sometimes like something is missing in your life? Right? Uh, now, in my life, there's lots of things missing, actually. <laughs> uh, but sometimes I feel like spiritually something is missing. And I think, well, maybe I just need to pray more, read my Bible more. Maybe I just need to try harder to be a good person. But Scripture is clear that, uh, that really what's missing in our life is this awareness of the Holy Spirit. That too often we try to live our life in our own strength and our own power because we're oblivious 
to the reality of the Holy Spirit's power and offer to work in our life. Um, and the problem is there's a difference between indwelling and receiving. Um, Andrew Murray put the problem this way. I think I have a quote for this. Uh, in the gift of God, the Spirit of Christ in all his fullness is bestowed once for all as an indwelling spirit. I love that. Once for all as an indwelling spirit. But he is received and possessed only as far as the faith of the believer reaches. I love that, right? When you come to Christ, there is no doubt about the certainty of the indwelling of the Spirit in your life. But, he says, he is received and possessed only as far as our faith understands it and accepts it and believes in it. It's one thing for the Spirit to be indwelling us, but it's another thing to have the faith to receive the gift that's given. Now, by receive, I don't think Andrew Marin said that I wouldn't teach that it means by receiving that somehow he's not there and we need, to, we need to receive him into our life. He's already there. It's a gift that we already possess. But he means that by receiving that we, we grab hold of, we, we take advantage of, we start using what's there. Right? Um, it's a gift that can lie dormant and unused until we by faith take hold of it and put it to use in our life. It's like a Christmas present lying under a tree. Uh, I remember as a kid, you'd go under the tree and there'd be all these Christmas presents, and what do you do? You start looking at the packages and finding the ones with your name on it, right? Because you know that's your present. It's yours, right? It doesn't belong to somebody else. It is your gift. It's been given to you, right? But what do you have to do to take advantage of it? Well, sadly, at Christmas, you have to wait till that special day <laughs> or you get in big trouble for mom and dad. Um, but on that day of Christmas, you get to open it. Right? You get to receive it. You get to take it into your possession. What's been yours the whole time it was under the tree. Well, that's exactly what this is a picture of, right? Yeah, the Holy Spirit's filling every one of you. But the, the, the question is, do you have the faith to actively receive and participate in the gift that's been given you? Are you taking advantage fully of the power of the Spirit that he wants to unleash in your life to make you a radically different person and to do life in a radically different way. I'm convinced this cannot happen until we become aware of the gift. And we understand our great need of it. And we'll talk about this later, what it really means to come to a place of needing the Holy Spirit. And finally, that we believe that all he has promised is available. It is available for you and I. It takes faith. Uh, and then I believe we will really begin to experience his power in our lives. Um, you know, I want more of that power. I want to live my life more in the power of the Spirit and less in, in my flesh. And the reason is because I have plenty of experience of how this works in the flesh. It always ends badly. Even my best efforts, right? even my best service. It ends badly if the Holy Spirit's not in You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.